Well, good evening. I talk pretty loud, so you might want to turn that thing down. <laughs> it has been so good to be with you all um, in the little time that we've been here. And something we talked about last night when we were over at Ellis's place is the beautiful element of the family of God where we can just fellowship with one another. And even though I didn't know these people very much at all, we can sit down and have common fellowship and have sweet fellowship, and it's just something that is really beautiful. And so I feel like I've, I'm really full already, and most of it is due to food, though. Um, we got here, and they, the Shrocks gave us you know, good soup, and we enjoyed fellowship there, and then last night we went over to Ellis's place and ate food, and then I got up this morning, we went up to Encounter, and um, Aaron and Ray were there, and they fed us really good food up there, and then we drove over to Melissa and Herb's and ate food, good food there, and then we were driving over this way and almost took out a deer and almost had some more food, <laughs> and so we've been really, really full, um, and it has been really good. Let me just get a couple things set up here. I hope that you, uh, you're bearing with me. This is actually the first time that I am doing any type of meetings, and so this is a stretch for me. But I trust, and my prayer is, that you see through my, um, who I am, and you are encouraged, and you are strengthened, and you are more inspired and uh, to be, to follow Jesus Christ. And so, that is my prayer that, um, in spite of me, you are blessed. My uh, topic this evening is when a Christian sins. When a Christian sins. And I don't know what that, when you hear that, what, that, what you think about. But I hope that you don't forget everything I said because not everything that I say here this evening is, is uh, a lot of what I say is good because it comes from the Word of God. But there is a story told, and I'm, I'm glad that, Dwight, you remembered a little bit of what I shared last night. Just a little bit. Um, because it tells me that somebody was listening. But there's a story told uh, from Franklin uh, Roosevelt, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House. And he complained that no one paid any attention to what he said. One day during one reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. The guests responded like, with phrases like, Marvelous! Keep up the good work. We are proud of you. God bless you, sir. It was not till the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador of Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. The ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> so hopefully you are listening a little bit tonight and you don't say, oh, oh, thank you for sharing and you had no idea what I said. I'm going to put it, I got to get uh, a little timer on here that way you know, sometimes I get talking and I get excited and I, I might, I might just go way over time, you might be saying, this guy needs to just be quiet. So I'm starting a timer up here so I know where I'm at. When a Christian sins. Okay, so what we're going to do this evening is we're going to look at Psalm 51, eventually. And in Psalm 51, it's the prayer of David after Nathan comes to him and talks to him about um, his sin. I don't know about you, but I grew up kind of thinking that adults don't sin. You ever, you ever, I, when I was just a little guy, I looked up at, and the, I, just, I just looked at people and thought, man, adults, they 
just don't, they don't sin. They don't struggle with sin. And the older I get, the more I realize that we're just a bunch of messy people. And we just struggle just like everybody else. My great-grandfather, who was 100, and he lived to be 103 years old. I went and visited him when he was 100 years old. And he said to me, he said, Satan is still out to get me. He said, I still feel temptation. And I looked at him and I thought, to be kidding me. Here as a 20-year-old, I thought, man, this guy's probably, it's probably perfection. But the reality is that we all live in the flesh. And even though our desire is to serve God, we fail. And we face sin in our lives. Each of us. You look like a good bunch of people here this evening, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, I know you fail. I know you do. Because you're human. God's word says this in 1 John, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Very familiar uh, verse from Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you find yourself in Paul's condition. I think that many of us do. And I'm going to read some verses here from Romans. For, uh, Romans 7, verses 14 through 25. So the trouble is not the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am, for I am, I'm sorry, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. You ever find yourself there? I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I've been there many times. I want to do what's right, I don't do it, and what I do, I hate. But if I know that I am doing, what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing the wrong, it is the sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it, it is the sin that is living in me that does it. I have this, discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is, with, that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am! Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, this is really the good part here. Listen to this. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I love that part right there where it says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We recognize we got to this problem through the original sin, right? Adam and Eve sinned, and because of Adam and Eve's sin, we have the sinful nature. I do not have to train, I never had to train my children like, you know, be selfish or grab the toy. We were all, we were all born into this world with a sinful nature. And we're bent, we have that bend. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked, who knows how bad it is? We have this human then desire to serve ourselves, to just get what our, our, our heart desires. 
And you, you all have it too. You look really innocent and really good here this evening. But the reality is, you're the same place as everybody else is. We live in the flesh, and we all have that fleshly we all have that desire in our flesh. Even though our spirit wants to please God, we find ourselves in this struggle of, just as Paul saying, this is the things I want to do, but I don't do it. I've watched the total destruction of lives because of sin. I told you last night that we took in two girls, Caitlin and Molly, and at age 7 and 11, they came into our homes full time. But previous to that, they were in their mom's home, and their mom was an alcoholic. And day after day, that woman... Let me back up and say her story started when she was young. She was young and she was abused and a life of pain. And because she didn't take those, those, that pain to Jesus Christ, she decided to medicate it with alcohol. And that, that, that vicious cycle just began with her children. She was, she was hurt and she was abused and she just, because she didn't give her life to Jesus Christ, she, didn't, and it, she just carried that in. And I watched, as a neighbor, I watched these two little girls all by themselves, alone in the house many times. And there was times that I, I even watched her on the, on, the, on the front hood of an expedition going down Cotton Street, ripping off, while the vehicle was driving, ripping off the windshield wipers as her boyfriend drove down the street. She was drunk. She came into my house one day, and we, at this time we partially had her, 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 uh, her children in our house. And there she was. I walked into the living room. There she was. She grabbed her bottle and she'd taken it out of her purse and she was sipping on it a little bit. Destruction. Her life was destroyed by sin and by alcohol. Pain. And that, that, that sin, you know what it did? It led to her do some terrible things to her children. And because of the, the sin that was in her life and not remedied by Jesus Christ, it caused pain in the life of the children that I took care of. And another generation started, and, and, and we, I, I forget exactly what I told you last night about Molly, but that, she's mad at me right now because I called her out on her sin. I said, you're doing the very same thing to your children that your mother did to you. And she didn't like that, and so she said, I'm not talking to you. Sin is messy, and it destroys. I remember one day I was working in a second-floor apartment, and I looked out, and I knew this area was full of drugs. I, it was just, the presence was so dark there. And I saw this man come back the alleyway, and he would come back the alleyway, and he would, I hate needles, by the way, so don't show me a needle or I'm going to pass out, you know? He would come back the alleyway, and he would tie off his arm, and I knew what was going to happen. And, he would, and he, would, he, would, he would get ready to shoot up, and I would just, like, turn away. And that morning, he came back, he was back there at about 8 o'clock, and he did it, and he came back about... Uh, 11 o'clock and he came back about 1 o'clock and he was doing this again and finally I said man I, I couldn't take it anymore and I, 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 I willed myself I went over to the window and I said I leaned out the window and I said you're going to kill yourself and he looked at me and he began to cry and he said this is not who I am this is not who I am he says I've lost everything everything because of this he said, I, I, have a, I have a wife and a family, and here I am. I said, I said well, can I do something for you? Can I, can I take you to a rehab or something? And he said, well, I, can, I, can, I, can I make a phone call? Can, can you call? He said, actually, can you call my girlfriend and tell her I'm okay? And so I called this number, and I said, hey, Jose wants me, and she, she hung up the phone on me. 
And I called back again. I said, hey, this is Jason. I'm calling. I met your, your boyfriend or your husband, and he's, he's shooting up here. Make a long story short, that, that man was so tied into his sin, so bound by his sin. Sin just makes me. I share those stories to tell you that sin just bankrupts us, and it destroys us. It destroys marriages. It destroys relationships. It destroys family. And sometimes, you know what? We continue to, even though we know that, we continue to sin because, you know what? The reality is, is sin is fun for a while, but only for a little bit. Sin can be fun for a little bit. But let me remind you this evening that Satan is a cheat. Satan is a cheat. Never, never bargain with Satan with sin. Never bargain. We never win. It never, sin is never satisfied. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. And his, his greatest asset is sin. And he makes it look so enticing and so good. And we're so foolish sometimes. We look and say, you know, I, I can dabble in it. I can do it. You know, it's not going to hurt me that bad. You know, it kind of seems like we're doomed, doesn't it? We have a sinful nature. We're kind of bent to do evil. We have a powerful enemy. We live in this really sinful, wicked environment. I mean, can we really win? Absolutely. Absolutely. From Romans 8, 9, and 11, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and gives you power over sin. So the fact, even though it looks like we're doomed, we have this sinful nature, okay? We have this sinful nature. We have a powerful enemy. We live in this sinful, wicked world. We have power over sin. Is that exciting here tonight? Amen. We don't have to live in defeat. And that excites me here tonight. Even though it looks like, man, we're doomed and the world outside of Jesus Christ is doomed. You see it. They're doomed and it's so sad. And you know what, what maybe frustrates me so much is the answer is so simple. The answer is Jesus Christ, right? It's so simple. It's just Jesus Christ. And the world says, no, I don't want anything to do with it. I want to, I want to wallow in my sin. But this evening, we have that resurrection power that allows us to live victoriously. One more verse about that, that promise and that power from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's a wonderful, wonderful promise. We are not tempted more than we can handle. And we have that resurrection power living in us. Tonight I'm going to tell you this story, a very familiar story from the Bible, the story of David. Here's David, king. 
Okay, very familiar story of David and Bathsheba. David is king. It says it was the time when, when war was happening in the spring of the year. And, and some people, some scholars say that, yeah, David should have been out there. Normally he would have been. I don't know why he wasn't that time. But you, you know the story. He went on the roof and he saw Bathsheba um, uh, bathing. And he saw and he was tempted. Okay? And he said, who, it, who, who go find out who that woman is? She's very beautiful. And they went and they got that woman and he came, she, Bathsheba came to his house. Now, I don't know, some people say like, oh, David, that was kind of rape because she had no choice. I don't know, I don't know exactly that, but that when the king said, come to your house, come to my, my palace, you didn't really have a choice. And so there Bathsheba goes and she goes and it says they had relations. And guess what? Bathsheba becomes pregnant, Right? And the mess begins. And sin gets really messy, all right? And so David finds out, oh, Bathsheba's pregnant. Oh, okay, oh, man, how am I going to, man, I I just messed up. How am I going to figure this one out? Oh, you know what? I'm going to get Uriah to come back. So he sends, he he talks to Joab, and he says, hey, send Uriah back, and we're going to, I think I'll get him, like he's thinking this, I'll, I'll get him to go home, things will take care of themselves, my sin will be hidden. He comes back and he, 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 he asks Uriah, hey, how, how's war going? How's, how are things doing, you know? And why don't you come back, relax a little bit, go home to your wife? And Uriah is thinking, no, I, you know, my, my men are out there fighting. And so the first night he sleeps, he doesn't go home. He sleeps outside. And, and David's like, man, this is really, this is not working out, okay? So he gets him drunk the second night. And he says, you know, hey, why don't you go home, go home? And again, he, and Uriah says, no. You see, it, 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 sin is just getting messier and messier. All right? He, he committed adultery. Now he's lying, right? It's just getting messier and messier. And so um, Uriah does not go in and sleep with his wife. And so he couldn't have hid his sin anyways, but he was trying to hide it. Okay? And then he decides, well, I, gotta, I, I guess I got to get rid of Uriah. And so he gives Uriah a note to give to Joab. Hey, send me. Obviously, Uriah didn't read the note. Send me to the front of the line and uh, get me killed. And so Uriah takes this note, gives it to Joab. And that note says, you, I want you guys to go, go, go fight. And when it gets really hot and heavy, I want, I want you to pull back and Uriah to get killed. Because it didn't work out me trying to cover my sin back here. I don't know how much everybody knew what was going on, but my, I wasn't able, David's thinking, I wasn't able to cover my sin back here, so you know, maybe I can, I'll just get rid of Uriah. And so that happens. And so now we go from adultery, he's lying, and now we have a murderer. And then David thinks, okay, I got rid of him, and everything is good, you know? And he moves along, and then God speaks to Nathan and says, I want you to go and confront David. And so Nathan comes, and he comes to David, and he tells David, hey, see, so there was these two men, and they had, um, they both, well, there's this one poor guy, and he had one lamb. And it says, he fed him from his table. It was, like his little, it was like his little pet. And there was this other man over here, a rich man, who had all kinds, he's all kinds of animals, and he had a big flock of sheep. And... Um, he was coming, a guest was coming to his house, and um, they went, 
And the rich man went to the poor man's house and he got that lamb and he killed it and he fed it. And David heard the story and David got very angry and David said, he said, kill that man. That man needs to, he needs to die. And then Nathan looks at him and says, you are the man. And at that point, he knew he was caught. All that messy sin that he thought he was getting away with was caught up. What do we learn from this story? I want to look at a couple points from this story. And then we're going, to go to, we're going to eventually get to Psalm 51. But what do we learn from this story? The sexual desire is so powerful. And, the, and Satan knows this, okay? Satan knows this. And he is using so many tools to destroy Destroy this. And I, I, I don't apologize by saying this. Sex was God's idea. And it is a beautiful thing in God's eyes. In God's box, how he designed it, is a beautiful thing. Hollywood didn't invent it. It is not something that is disgusting. It is a God thing. But Satan is destroying it because he knows it's a beautiful thing. Because he knows it's a God thing. And men and women... Satan knows it, and he is trying to destroy you through it because it is a very powerful thing. The sexual desire is so powerful. Sex taken outside of God's box is destructive. I ask you the question here this evening. How are you controlling? How are you controlling that box? I'd like to read a couple verses. I'm actually going to skip that for right now. There are so many ways to misuse this today. I talked about it last night. I'll say it one more time. Be careful. Young men, young women, be careful. It will destroy you. It will destroy your family. It will destroy all those involved. Second point of this story, the path of sin grows. Okay, don't ever, don't ever believe that you're just going to, you're just going to do a little bit of sinning and it's going to, you're going to be satisfied. That's not, that's not how it happens. It is never satisfied. A lustful look, one lustful look turned into a murder. What a mess. And we, we, we as people sometimes think, ah, you know what, I can dabble in this a little bit and I'll be okay. It's not true. It's not true. You will never be satisfied with a little bit of sin. It is never satisfied. We don't get to a place where we just we do a little bit and we're like, you know what, that was good enough. We need to stop it in its tracks. Another thing from this story, you cannot hide your sin. Listen to me, God loves you enough here this evening to expose your sin. If you have sin in your life this evening, okay, if you have sin in your life that you think that you are hiding, your Father in Heaven loves you enough to expose it. It's not God. God's not up there like, you know, I, just, I just can't wait to get even with Him. You know, I just, I, I want it. Oh man, He's in His sin. I, no, He loves you enough to expose it. Because He knows that sin separates you from him, and he wants to be in relationship with you. He is a father who loves you, who is not against you, is not to, trying to destroy you, but he loves you. And last of all, the, from that story, there is forgiveness, but also consequences. Sin can be forgiven here this evening. 
Sin can be forgiven here this evening, but there is also consequences. Never by the lie, listen, never by the lie that sin, the sin that you are committing only affects you. In this story, the sin of David affected many other people. Listen to me, people here this evening. The sin that you, that we struggle with, that we leave ourselves do sometimes, affects all of us. It affects the people in your church. It affects your brotherhood. It affects your family. It affects the next generation many times. Be very, very careful. David's response. We want to look here at Psalm 51. I'm going to read Psalm 51. So Nathan had come to him at this point, and now he is... Um, this, this was David's response. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. It's a beautiful Beautiful response. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your, your ways to rebels. Listen to what he's saying now here. After all these things, he says, Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not desire a, a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentive heart. How did David's sin affect him? If you look through this, I'm just going to go over seven things real quick how David's sin affected him himself. It soiled his soul. Have you ever done something that was sinful and it just soiled your soul? It filled his mind. You look back through there, it consumed his thoughts. It was with him day and night. It stung his conscience. It depressed his heart. It affected his body. It soured his spirit. It sealed his lips. Is, I, I asked you the question tonight, is sin really worth it? You look at that list, is that what we want? I don't think that's what we want. But we're so, I, I, I'll speak to myself, I'm so foolish sometimes. And I'm so, I'm so, frankly, so dumb. I think for some dumb reason that the temptation that has given me is going to, for some reason, this time might satisfy it never does. And this is what I find myself when I, when I fail. It soils my soul. It fills my mind. It stings my conscience. It depresses my heart. It affected his body. It affected his spirit. It affected his, his lips. I remember one time when I was a young boy. 
I went to an evangelist. I went to his house. And I, we had, when I was younger, we had a VW van. Now, I still really like VW vans. Those VW buses, man, they're, they're just, they're awesome. He has a mechanic, he's shaking his head. <laughs> but they're, they're awesome. I just think, I still think they're really awesome. But we had one, and my sister actually, what happened, my sister uh, decided, we decided to go swimming with it. Um, there was a, called the Spring Street Subway, and that, when it rained a lot, it would fill up with water. And we were coming home in a really heavy thunderstorm. We went down this hill and into the water and started floating. It was actually only ended up being chest high. But anyways, so that thing went, went bye-byes. It was history after that. No mechanic, even you couldn't have fixed it. And anyways, but I still, as a little kid, had a fascination with VW vans. VW, I mean, VW vans, vanigans. And we went to this preacher's uh, house, and he had this nice, it was just a little bit bigger than a matchbox of a VW van. And I thought, man, that thing would look really good in my pocket. And so I took that, that, that VW van, and I stuck it in my pocket, and I thought, man, this is, this is great. I got myself a VW van. And I, we drove home that day, and that thing was still in there. I thought, man, I'm good. I got this thing, man. And when I got home, you know what? You know how I felt? I felt great, right? I got this, no. <laughs> in my sin, in my thievery, this is what I felt. I felt depressed in my heart. It affected my body. It soured my spirit. You know, I felt terrible. You know what I did? I took that, I still remember this. I don't even know how old I was. I took that van, and I walked, and we lived right next to the woods, and I took that, that shortly after I stole it, after I thought it would bring me great satisfaction. I mean, this was it. This was it. This was going to make me feel good. I took the thing, and I threw it up in the woods. And for about 20 years, that thing probably rotted up there in the woods. I never told the, that evangelist who I stole his his. And I, I, you know, I don't know that it was really heavy on my spirit. I probably forgot about it. But eventually I said, hey, you know what? I said, a bunch of years ago, I stole the... And he thought it was kind of funny at that point, you know. He didn't think it wasn't a real big deal. But I share that, that little story to, to illustrate that it did not bring me satisfaction. And I thought it would. And there are still many times today... Maybe I'm too embarrassed to share with you the things that I face today. Maybe you're too embarrassed to, to share the things that you face today. But the reality is, we as adults, we do the same thing sometimes, don't we? We think there are things, maybe they're big things, maybe they're small things, that we think that they're going to satisfy. And they really don't. And we find ourselves in this position. Three truths now that I want to take from David's prayer. A man after God's own heart will repent and feel sorrow about his sin. A man after God's own heart will repent and feel sorrow about his sin. Listen to what he prays here. Man or woman, I should add. Sorry about his or her sin. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Listen to me. When we sin because we're going to sin, we need to come humbly and broken before God. 
In verse 16, he says this, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would bring one. There's nothing material that you can bring to God to satisfy what you've done to him. It's not like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be really good. I'm going to go to church a bunch in the next week because I failed. Have you ever felt that? Like, oh, I'm going to be really good. I'm going to do so much better and it's going to make me right with God. That doesn't make you right with God. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So my question is, what what is, and I thought about this as I was studying, what does a broken spirit look like? If that's what God desires when we fail, what what does a broken spirit look like? A broken heart or will says, like, I'm no longer going to do it my way. And on my terms. You know what? I, I surrender to you. It, it, it's, it's, it's really coming to a place where you say, you know what? I'm done. God, I need you. And it's on his terms when we, we become broken. It's not like, hey, you know what? I'm going to make this deal or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. No, it's just, just coming saying, here I am, God. I need you. I'm broken. No demands. We also need to acknowledge our sin. David says this. He says, I recognize my rebellion. You know, the sad part of the story is David only repented when, when Nathan came to him. He only repented. But there's, there is something really beautiful about a man or woman who recognizes their sin and, and, and is open about their sin long before they're forced to. You know? Many times it's, it's maybe a brother or the church coming and saying, hey, get your stuff together. You know? And, and God can use that too. But there's something really beautiful about a broken and contrite heart that says, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be honest. I'm struggling. May I say that maybe sometimes in our Anabaptist circles we have not given the platform that we should. The truth of the matter is is sometimes, many times, we're just as messy as anybody else. But sometimes we like to portray that just everything's just, we're just, we're just really, really good. There's so much freedom in being open. This is a statement that I wrote down. Integrity is not living a perfect life. Integrity is more about being honest about your imperfect life. Listen to that again. Integrity is not living a perfect life. Integrity is more about being honest about your imperfect life. Because the reality is, is nobody here is perfect. Nobody is completely, has complete integrity. As far, I mean, you're just, you're just not living perfect is what I'm saying. But isn't integrity just about being honest about who you are? And being broken before God? The people in your church here might expect you to be perfect, but God knew you could never be perfect, and that's why he sent Jesus. Even though the people around us, they, want, they, they sometimes expect us to be perfect, the reality is God knew. He knew that you weren't going to be perfect, and that's why he sent Jesus. 
Number two, when we acknowledge our sin, God cleans us up. And this is the beautiful part of this message. Listen to what David says here. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. A verse from Psalms also. Psalms 103. For as high as the heavens are above, so great is His mercy toward those that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And this is the beautiful thing. When we mess up, God cleans us up. And He just, he just cleans us up totally. Makes us perfectly clean. God does not hold forgiven sin over you tonight. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you're doing. God, this evening, if there is sin in your life, He is ready and willing to clean you up. He desires to clean you up. And God, again, God is not up there like, I just can't wait. This is God. The story is told of a man who came to God. Again, this is a hypothetical story. And he said, he had just sinned and he said, God, I'll never do it again. I'm so sorry what I did. I'll never do it again. I promise you. God, I, 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 man, I, I feel terrible for what I've done. Please forgive me. I'll never do it again. And he left the presence of God. And the next day he went out. And what do you think he did? He did that same sin again. And he went back to God and said, God, here I am. I did it again. I, I messed up. And God said, what, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I, I forgave that sin. But I, I removed that sin. And again, this is a hypothetical story. But what I, what the, the truth I'm, I'm trying to, for you to understand here this, this evening is God does not hold your sin over top of you. He forgives your sin. He removes you. He cleanses you. He renews your spirit. He empowers you to live above sin. My favorite Bible verse is this. If, from 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that word confess, you may say, what does that word confess? Does that mean I have to stand up front here and tell everybody what I've done? That word confess, actually, the Greek word of that is homologio, which means to say the same as. So if you say the same about your sin as God says about your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say the same about we're disgusted by our sin. We don't want to be sinning. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, that continual cleanse, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of God's love. And the story doesn't end there. The story does not end with reconciliation and forgiveness only but a commitment to testify. And folks, when you, have, when you have experienced the grace and the mercy of God, it is a freeing experience. Sin, you know what sin does? Man, it just, it just seals our lips. And just, but when we experience God's grace, and when we're living free of sin, it just, it just frees us to speak of God's goodness. And you can't help you can't help. When you've been forgiven, you can't help but overflow. When you realize that you deserve eternity in hell, each one of you here tonight, there is nothing that you could have done 
outside of Jesus Christ, accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior to be right with God. You couldn't do anything. And when you recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, came to this earth and died on the cross for your sins, and loves you, it excites you and you overflow. And if you're not overflowing here this evening, ask for it. Because God wants to pour into you so much that you overflow and that you pour out into other people. The world shouldn't wonder who you are. They should be more telling you to shut up. Listen to what he says. David says, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Listen to this. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your, your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that, I, that my mouth may praise you. Again, when we understand what God has done for us, we want to teach His ways to rebels. We want to joyfully sing of, of His forgiveness. And my mouth will praise you. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what your relationship to sin looks like tonight. I don't know if there's a pattern of openness about who you are here tonight. I just, want to, I just want to circle back to what I said earlier. I believe that in Jesus Christ we have the power to live in a pattern of victory. But I also understand that we are human. And we do fail. And I want to remind you tonight that sin is messy, that forgiveness is beautiful and free for all of you, and that when He does that in your heart, he frees you to speak what he has done for you. So when a Christian sins, what is your response? I don't know what your heart, what you, uh, what your heart looks like tonight. Do you have any hidden sin in your life? Is there some sin that you, you have that you, you know what? I need to carry this to Jesus. I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't look into your heart tonight and say, yeah, there's, there's hidden sin here. Or there's something that you need to get right. And the fact of the matter is, you don't need this altar to get right with God. But the Bible does say, the Bible does say, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's something healing. There is something healing about standing with a brother when we fail. There's something beautiful when he can relay or she can relay truth to us and encourage us. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity here this, this evening. And it's not about me. I, if you, man, don't come to this altar to make me feel good or, or Dwight feel good or anybody else to feel good. I want you to come to this altar if God has spoken to you about something in your life. And if there's nothing in, in your life that, that you need to get right, that's great. That's wonderful. Maybe you can leave here just inspired and encouraged for what God has done in your life and the grace and the mercy that he gives you each day. And you've been renewed to share your faith and just unseal my lips. And you, you pray that prayer. I hope that you pray that prayer. God, unseal my lips for what you've done in my life. Unseal my lips that I may tell the rebels what you've done for me. That's my prayer for you this evening. We're going to sing just, a, just one, one verse. 
If I could have a, a hymnal there, one of the black hymnals, I failed to bring one up there. I think it's 599, 899, I'm sorry. And again, I only want you if you feel like God is moving in your heart. And if there's something that you want to say, you know what, there, there, there's, something, there's a pattern in my life that I want to change. There's something that I, 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 I'm just, I, I, want, I want to renew that fellowship with God. And there's a pattern that I want to change. And you come here and someone will pray with you. Again, it doesn't have to be here. It doesn't have to be here. But if, if that's what God, you feel like God is calling you to do this evening, I invite you. Let's sing one verse. Maybe close our eyes and let's just, let's just prayerfully sing softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. the portals he's watching and waiting waiting for you and for me come home come coming here this evening, I ask of you to do one thing, and that is when you leave this place this next week, that you invite God to unseal your lips. That's the one thing I ask you to do, because the, the town of Kelowna, Iowa, and this state of Iowa needs to know that the president, the next president of the United States is not the answer. I know you guys were all over the map here lately with, you know, all the hoopla, all these guys, all these Guys trumping through your state and trumping. Oh, yeah. I, didn't even, I didn't even try that. I didn't even try that. Running around your state trying to say that they are the answer. But make Kelowna, Iowa know and this, this state know that Jesus is the answer. That Jesus is the answer. And what he has done for you, he can do for them. And let's be bold and unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The world is so bold and unashamed of their message. And we sometimes sit around like, I just, I, just, I just want to be careful. I don't want to offend anybody. Let's be bold and unashamed. So that's my, that's my one, com not command, <laughs> my one desire for you, that you leave this place and you, you invite God to seal your lips and to tell others about Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your attention. Why don't we stand? I'll have a word of prayer. And we'll uh, dismiss you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much um, for the reminder this evening that I, I was reminded of how good you are to us. And God, I pray that you would give us, that we would reach out, to, we know that it's available, that we would reach out to the power that is available, the resurrection power that we, 
is available through Jesus Christ, the overcomers. God, you have given us the tools. You have given us the promise that we can be overcomers. And God, I pray for this congregation that, that they, they would just follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly and invite the power of Jesus Christ in their life to be overcomers. God, thank you that when we do fail because we are human, that God, you, you, you just wash us clean. And you're not an angry God and you're not a bitter God. But your God who says, come to me, I'm, I'm going to clean you up. And I'm going to renew your spirit. When, we're, when our spirits are just tormented and broken because of, because of ourselves, you clean us up. And God, unseal my lips. Give me boldness. Give this church boldness that we would proclaim the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And I pray that revival would start in this town right here. And it would spread through this state. God, I invite you to, to do it in each one of our lives this evening. Thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for their attendance and attentiveness. I pray a blessing upon them this evening. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.